Do I need to clarify which is the truth and which <coughs> is that where we are in all of this? Um, no, some, some of the churches that had bigger buildings, that had bigger buildings and the congregation shrunk for whatever reason, they literally have put up plants, you know, they've like made like artificial plants and barricades and things to make it, make it, make the room seem a little smaller for those that are there. So people have done, I mean, you know, people have done all kinds of things. So let's get right into this. I'm very excited. I'm grateful y'all are here. Uh, thankful that you're here and that you come hungry and you're eager to, to uh, uh, sit under the preaching of God's word. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, I haven't actually watched uh, much or anything. I'm kind of more of a headline person than I am getting into the meat of something. But I've, um, the Ashbury Revival in Kentucky has been something I've seen pop up quite a bit. And some of you might have even looked into it uh, to see really what's going on there. Um, it is quite amazing that it's lasted so long. And, you know, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, are these kids not going to class? So are they trying to, is this a good way to get out of going to class or something? I don't know. That's what I'd be thinking. Um, but let's just assume that, uh, that it, there is something taking place there that would be profitable. I've heard some good, a couple of good things that have happened. And like last week, I mentioned uh, Mike Pence was saved in 1978 at that same chapel, the same location. He was actually saved there. He said, he said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I've never, my life has never been the same since. It was at the same place. So we do know that some good things can come uh, out of that. But I did find one of the headlines that I saw was amazing. And again, I didn't dig into it. I didn't see what they meant by it. I just saw the headline and it said uh, about the revival thing that was going on there. It said, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Now, th I want you to think, just think about that statement. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I would submit that no Holy Spirit, no revival. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't think we need to invite the Holy Spirit to come to be a part. We don't have to ask him to come be a part here. He is a part of this. He is here. And um, so... A and, and again, I just want to clarify, and I, I mean this sincerely. I'm not going to give you a historical review and lesson on spiritual revivals in America or anywhere. I'll leave that to Matt Adams. Okay, Matt, would you t would you take that assignment and you <laughs> give us a historical view, let us uh, all that. So. We're just going to do it from the way I do things. And I will just say a, a true revival is not determined by how long you can keep your hands raised to the heavens. 
And it's not determined by how many praise choruses you can repeat over and over and over. That's not a revival. And a revival is not just a week-long meeting with guest speakers two times a year. Now, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, do you, can you think back and remember in the day when in our little typical Baptist churches, it was, I mean, it was like if you had a meeting, a planning meeting, a part of that planning meeting would be trying to schedule a two weeks where you would have revival meetings. And they, you know, it was always a big deal about who would be the speaker, who's going to be the preacher. And, um, you know, I've heard statements like this. Now, we're th thinking about revival. We've heard statements like this. People would say, you're invited to come to our revival, and there are going to be certain, certain dates. And a lot of times, it'd be the spring and the fall. And so you're invited to come to our revival and hear the dates. Or I've heard it uh, worded this way. Uh, we're having revival at our church. And brother so-and-so from whatever other church in whatever state is our guest speaker. Won't you come? Now, I have attempted, because I was a part of all of that, it being in a typical Southern Baptist church for quite a number of years, I've attempted to clarify or tweak that statement, and I would say something like, we are having a revival meeting, and I am praying it will turn into a revival. But we're, but we're talking about a, a, a meeting. We're going to meet. And did y'all, some of you remember now, they used to go from Sunday to Sunday. And then America got too busy. So then they started doing them from Monday to Wednesday. And then now, I don't really even hear of it much at all, actually. I had, of course, I'm not in, in the, the circles but, um, and I know that there are churches there, and I, I've got some friends that, I mean, a friend, I don't have that many, but um, a friend that uh, they have um, missionary conferences every year, and so they do have meetings, and, and I, I'm, I really feel like they're beneficial. Linda and I went to Keswick conventions in downtown Houston. We would drive, if they were having a conference somewhere, uh, in Dallas or different places, and they'd have all these these um, Keswick. Does anybody did anybody ever hear of Keswick Convention? Y'all have heard of that Keswick Conventions? It was you know it was kind of methodical. Monday night would be on certain certain subject, and Tuesday night on another subject, Wednesday night on another, and they would get all the way go all the way through. But uh, they'd have you know Ron Dunn, uh, different ones. I mean, it was just it was we grew during that time, but we would drive it. We would drive to go hear these speakers. I mean, it was, it was incredible. So a revival meeting. And I think there's nothing wrong with doing that sort of thing. I think the goal, of course, is more preaching. You get, you see, the, the thinking, you know, if you go to any kind of theological training they really believe, and I think it's 
kind of documented, they really believe that the more preaching people will sit under for an extended period of time, the, the better chance, and I don't mean that like a gamble, but a better chance the Holy Spirit has of really breaking through. I mean, that may not be the way to say it, but y'all understand what I'm trying to get across. The more preaching we're under for an extended period of time, the more apt we are to respond. But it's just, it's just hard. I mean, it's just hard. Our lives are so, we are so busy and it, it is difficult for most people, the average person, to eke out an hour or an hour and a half or two hours on a Sunday. It's very difficult in our schedules because other things take priority. And so, you know, you, know, you wonder if, if it has been documented that the more preaching we're under for an extended period of time, the more response the listeners have, then no wonder if we only get a little dab in a seven-day week, we get an hour, and then, you know, 45 minutes or 30 minutes, we get that. We wonder why there's not more, not more happening in the church. And let me just say this. This is why it is so, and I've said this before, we are living in a day and age where we have more accessibility because of the electronics and the, what we have. We have more accessibility and availability to good, solid preaching seven days a week. We, I mean, you can look up. I've been, I've been listening to a few of Adrian. I love Adrian Rogers, and I'm, I'm just about ready. You know, I, I've told Dan. I said, look, I'm not. I know some people say, well, we can listen to that at home. Why would I want to stay at church listening? I'm telling you, there was a message Linda and I heard, and she said, oh man, more people need to hear this. How to get up when you're down. How to get up when you're down. I mean, what a practical title for a message. But it was so, and this was, he's been dead, what, four years or six years or whatever? And this, this was back before he passed away. But it sounded like he was preaching it for today. I mean, it was incredible. How to, it, it was wonderful. So more preaching. I think results in more converts, more salvation. I think it affects the, the church. You know, they, some of you will remember, and I've mentioned this a couple of times before, but you've heard of in the past, and it wasn't a big, big splash in the Southern Baptist circles, but lay renewals. Anybody know what I ever heard of a lay renewal? It was a weekend intended... The bottom line, if you were to just say, okay, <clears throat> what are we trying to accomplish at a three-day weekend? <clears throat> it was a three-day weekend intended to reconcile believers with each other. <clears throat> That's what it was about. And, and there was a lot of emotionalism in those meetings. A lot of emotionalism. A lot of, you know, your music and your, uh, you know, appeal 
and, and, uh, and a lot of hugging and getting right. And some of it was genuine. I had a person, and I'm not going to name a name, and I try not to name names, but I had a person that was extremely, extremely, extremely upset with me. He wrote a letter to the elders. It was one, you know, I've kind of got a top five list of <laughs> worst letters and worst things. And this one was right up there. I mean, it was up there pretty high. He, he was really upset with me. And so the elders suggested that I take him out to eat and try to get right. So we went to eat Mexican food of all places, I think. I just don't know why I thought of that. But um, went to eat Mexican food and nothing. I mean, it was just so cold. It was so cold. So he was so mad at me, so upset. And... Uh, just, I mean, said some very, 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 some of the most hateful things. And so y'all don't even know this. Y'all probably hadn't even heard about this. Dwight knows about it because Dwight was involved in it. But that person that wrote that nasty, ugly letter came, they had already left the church, they came to a Keith Daniel meeting. And they're probably... I, we might have had 35 people here that night. And that same man that wrote that nasty, nasty letter and caused such a stir among the elders. Coy Caps was an elder. Dwight was an elder. And he walked down. I was over here. And he walked down after Keith Daniel preached. And he had tears in his eyes and his chin was quivering. And he said, would you please forgive me? And I said, yes, I do forgive you. And we hugged. And he left. That doesn't make the bulletin. That doesn't make the headlines. But it was a working of the Spirit in a special meeting that nobody knew that there was any... <laughs> I mean, Keith Daniel doesn't even like to have an invitation. But there was a special time that something happened in that meeting that night. When you have a, a genuine revival, you have a, more of a spiritual awareness of things. Uh, so theologians, the, the really smart people, the people that are really the, the doctors and the theologians and the professors at school, they will, and I think this is pretty well accepted, they will call and define a, a revival as a spiritual awakening. They will call it a spiritual awakening. And so I believe most everyone that's ever thought about it, about a real genuine revival would say that it would a spiritual awakening is more spontaneous than planned or scheduled. Would y'all, if you think that's close, you might nod or ug or whatever, you know, just so we know we're all. But if you disagree, don't yell out boo or anything. Don't do that. Please come see me later and I'll send you to Dan or the elders or something. But uh, 
So now then, as we kind of are just laying a little bit of groundwork, so it's more spontaneous than scheduled or planned. So I'm ask, I just have to ask our church, ask us as members, has anybody thought about praying for a revival to break out at North Belt? I mean, how, honestly and truly, how long has it been since you've been on your face before God and you actually asked God, send a revival? I have to ask another question. Do we believe or expect that God would like to do something special at our church? I, I do. I'm, I'm not really kind of a born optimist. I'm really not. I come from a long line of skeptics. So I, so, and it's, I have to really, it's an act of faith but I honestly believe God wants to do something special. I'm not giving up on North Belt. I've never lost. I had someone say they had lost their vision. For, I have never lost my vision for North Belt. My vision for North Belt doesn't come and go with the wave of the sea. It's always been the same. I believe God wants to do something special. I'm a firm believer in certain things, though. Number one, that if God seems distant or far away and I can't seem to hear his voice, the problem lies with me, not with God. Okay? If God seems far off, and God seems distant, and I am not able to hear him speak, the problem is with me. I think the fault lies squarely on my shoulders, and I need to be a big boy and admit it's my fault, not God's. Because I believe in the word of God kind of says in Hebrews 13, 5, that God will never leave me nor forsake me. So it's not God that needs to change. Listen, we're moving. I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> it's not God that needs to change. It's us. We need to change. I need the preacher. I need to change. And you need to change. So let's consider some things. I, and again, leave the, the deep stuff to the, the great teachers. And we've, we've been blessed to have them. But let's just kind of think about some basic things that could help us understand about what God would like to do. And again, keeping in mind, I'm, I'm lay, trying to lay kind of like a groundwork foundation. Revival is more spontaneous than it is planned. It's, it's not something that we can, it's not mechanical. In other words, okay, put a revival on the, on, in March. 
And it's going to be from March Sunday to March Sunday. And, and that's when revival is going to come, but not, you know, I was at a, I was still a police officer <clears throat> and they asked me to speak at this Houston church. Um, Cause they found out I was Christian and stuff. So they asked me to speak. And so I, I presented the salvation to these kids and a little boy wanted to be saved. Now this is, I'm not telling you, I didn't make this up. Little boy wanted to be saved. The teacher took him, it was like a Tuesday or whatever day, took him to the pastor in the pastor's office. And the pastor, the teacher reported back, the pastor said, he can't get saved today. Friday's salvation day, not Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, I, and I like to... Where's this guy? I'm going to put him in handcuffs. I mean, this, I was in uniform, by the way. But I could not believe what I was hearing. Tuesday's not Salvation Day. Friday's Salvation Day. That's a day. Tell him to wait till Friday. So what I'm saying is, using that as an illustration, <clears throat> we can't put it on the calendar and say, March this to March that is going to be revival. And then you can't have revival before that, and you can't have revival after that, because that's when we're having revival. See, I'm, I guess I'm just naive enough. I, and as I prepared this, I got so excited, I thought, <clears throat> well, what if we could have revival today? So here's some basics. Number one, let's, it needs to start with the Word of God. And I, there's so many verses, but, and I'm not going to read, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, the pollen is just terrible. But uh, let me see if I can find this. I had something I thought <clears throat> we could just, maybe just pull a few. This is an axe. This, I mean, this is, Pentecost, this is, this is all about that. And there's no, I'm not going to read all of this. But Acts 4, 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. They heard the word. And so I said, let's start with, you talk about revival. Let's start with the word of God. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of men was about 5,000. That's a pretty good invitation. And then in this sermon, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And I love this verse, verse 13. I mean, I love this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. See, I, that's, I'm right there. That's, I, I'm glad to be in that list. Unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That they had, it's not 
the placards on the wall and your certificates, it's the fact that other people acknowledge he's been with Jesus. <laughs> so on and on and on we could go, pulling out scriptures, <clears throat> dealing <clears throat> with the word of God, being, the, I think, one of the main ingredients of genuine revival. Now, when I start my television ministry, we're not going to be able to have these little bottles of water like this. We're going to have to have crystal up here. Okay? So y'all remember that once that starts. It's going to have to be crystal, and it needs to be just the right temperature. <clears throat> start with the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God. Meditation on the Word of God. A hunger for the Word of God. Acts 4, just read it. Read it at home. 1 Timothy 4, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Repute, reprove, rebuke. Exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Over and over again, we need to re recognize, and I think we do, I don't think we have any problem with this, that the Word of God needs to be the main part of revival. It really needs to be a key. Now, as a result, as we talked about, the more we're under the preaching and teaching and meditation of the Word of God, there will be genuine, and I, use, I chose these words very carefully, Genuine conviction. Genuine repentance. Genuine confession. Don't you just love James 2.10? If you've broken one of the laws, you're guilty of all. Rebuke. Rebuke. When rebuked, the, the believer ought to stand convicted of sin. We must be open to the rebuke of the Holy Spirit through His Word. The Word of God, if we're in it and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to rebuke us and teach us, it's going to point out areas of sin. And I've listed a few, not all, <clears throat> but a few. Pride, gossip, lust, lying, stealing, anger, sowing seeds of discord, slothfulness, bitterness, unforgiveness, being unkind. Saw one of those guys, I forgot, it might have been Dr. David Jeremiah had a title of a sermon, Be Kind. Be Kind. Be Loving. But when we're unloving, that's sin, unbelief, disbelief. He did not many miracles. What is that scripture? He did not many miracles because they did not believe, because of their unbelief. And I'm, I, I'm so convinced that if we've got doubters in the crowd and we're all out here and we've got doubters and we're saying, we're not going to have revival. 
I mean, he's just batting the breeze. We're not going to have revival. The Northbelt hadn't seen revival in 45 years. We're not going to have revival. You keep thinking that way, and guess what? You're going to be right. You keep acting that way, and you're going to be right. I'm going to give you a high five and say, hey, you're right. We're not going to have revival because you are doubting what God is up to and what he wants to do. And because of our unbelief, because of our questioning, because of our, our, just, our constant disbelief that God really wants to do something in a little small group like this. Then we fail to obey when he speaks. And this is another thing. We're going to have invitation in a little while. And I'm convinced, I am convinced, the Holy Spirit is going to say, respond somehow, some way, do something, and it needs to be led by me. But if we just stand there and we stand through another invitation and we don't respond to the prompting and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to walk out worse off than we were when we walked in. Rebuke. We're, we're looking in. We're rebuke. Failure to obey. Failure to admit my sin. My fault. Always blaming the other person. Never looking at myself. I'm going to tell you, in a marriage, that is so critical that in a marriage, a relationship, a marriage relationship, that husband and wife don't go through life always blaming the other person. It's your fault I'm the way I am. It's your fault that I've responded the way I've responded. No, you responded that way because you did it. We need to be responsible for our own actions, our actions. I need to be responsible for mine. And listen, I've had an opportunity to sit and listen to other preachers. As I stand here, I can't prepare a message like this without the Holy Spirit just raking me over the coals. Okay, big boy. You're preaching to everybody. You're rebuking everybody. What are you going to do about it? Always blaming the other person. Never looking at myself. Failure of self-examination, which is a very clear biblical command. Examine ourselves. Focusing on the other person. It's the other person. If they would just get right. And I like John Fields. He loves this verse in James 1.22. Be ye hearers of the word and not do... Uh, be ye doers of the word, not just hearers only. But we have a tendency to be hearers only. We hear and 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 we hear. And we've got all this knowledge. And boy, we've attended more seminars and we've attended more preaching. And we've heard it and we've heard it and heard. When do we start doing something with what we've heard? I've made this statement before and I believe it with all my heart. I don't think we need one more sermon or one more seminar. I really think we need to do something with what we've already been exposed to. Failure to forgive each other. Failure to forgive each other is a huge deterrent to revival. Now, we all offend. Would, would y'all agree? It's, isn't it pretty easy? To, I mean, 
I don't want to keep using husband and wife, but I mean, Dwight taught me that it's a good analogy, and it is. But Linda is a very sensitive person. I'm a little more outspoken. I can say things, and I look up, and her countenance has fallen. And it's because she's, she's the, got that tender side. And, I'm, and I've told her, how many times have I said this? I've been in meeting with five or six men, and we said things a lot worse than that to each other. And we go out and say, you know, are the bass biting? Or, you know, or, you know what, what are you growing in your garden? I mean, it's like, but I mean, if you say just the wrong, uh, you know, It's so easy to get offended. And you know, sometimes we appear very crusty. But there have been some things that have been said that have offended. And it hurts. <clears throat> it hurts. And, and in the privacy of your quiet time in your life, you actually have tears of sadness that people, you just want to be you all of us want to be liked. But to think that people are saying things that I know, and we've had to kind of go through this in the last three or four months. I'll be real honest with you. I, I, I've battled with defending myself, and we go to the Scripture, Lynn, and I go to the Scriptures. God is our defense. God is our defense. God is our defense. We don't have to defend ourselves. But I can tell you this. There have been some things that have been said that are not true. And it breaks my heart that people that you love and you still love say things that are not true. And it's so damaging. Listen, we ought to be in this for the whole body of Christ. But things, things that we're saying about each other is so hurtful and damaging to the, to the body of Christ. And this afternoon, I'm thinking about just a spontaneous time at 2 o'clock. I'm thinking about, and y'all think about this and help me. Quenching the Spirit. And when I think about quenching the Spirit, I mean, again, I'm just so basic. But I've got a lot of water hoses, okay? Because we've got a lot of water troughs and we've got a lot of things that we water. And I, I don't always buy the most expensive water hose. And I certainly don't have those that fold up like that. But anyway, you get a kink in it. And then I have to walk half a mile and get, straighten it out and get the kink out. To me, that's a very simple explanation of quenching the spirit. Get a kink in it. Stops the flow. There are things that we are doing as a church. I believe with all of my heart, and I'm certainly not the smartest person in the room, but honestly, with all of my heart, I believe we're quenching the spirit. And I think it's, on, I think it's wider spread than what you would imagine. Quenching the spirit. So where should my focus be? I honestly believe. It goes back to several things. Jurisdiction. I believe. My focus needs to be on me. I really. I think it needs to be on me first. And. And. 
trust the Holy Spirit to work in the other person's life. But I can't be, and just like in a husband-wife relationship, I can't be her Holy Spirit, and she can't be my Holy Spirit. We've got to depend, is the Holy Spirit capable enough or able enough to bring conviction of sin? I say the Word of God declares yes. He is. He is. He is able to bring conviction. So if I will take care of my life, my sin before God, then I, and I have seen it so many times over, just like the illustration I told you, just like the illustration. I mean, this went on for over a year and the person came and asked for forgiveness Another pastor told me that a man was on, had caused grief in the church, had caused, attacked the pastor, caused grief, horrible situation, and the man got cancer and was dying. He was on his deathbed that he called for the pastor. And the pastor came. And he was on his deathbed, skin and bones, and he held up his hand to him and he said, I want to ask you for forgiveness for all the grief I've given you. God is very capable. Let's focus on ourselves, not on the other person. Let's not wait. And again, I'm thinking of the invitation here. Let's don't wait on someone else to make the move. Let's be the first to make the move. We will never experience genuine revival until each of us as individuals take responsibility for our own sin and failure. The invitation, I, 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 I'm not, I mean, I believe there are certain things that happen during an invitation, and I've, I've seen it, it's been good. People come, I've, been, I've appreciated it, I believe it's a good thing. But what if you're the only one? You hear a message like this, and you're convicted, and you say, I, I, I believe I need to respond. And I, I think I want to go to the front and pray at the altar. But I may be the only one. What if you are the only one? What if you are the only one? You're the only one that comes. Nobody else comes. Everybody just stands there, you know, goes through the motion. But you're the only one. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to be the only one. I've had testimonies in this church where young people said, someone came forward and accepted Christ, and that was all I needed they didn't do it because they were copying them. They did it because they were encouraged that somebody else wanted to get saved. And they got saved. And if I told you who it was, you wouldn't believe it. And they're going on with the Lord today in a strong fashion. But it was because they told me, they told us that it was that person that stepped forward first. We can't have a standoff. We can't have the invitation and, you know, bless me if you can. I mean, we've got to, as individuals, the invitation is going to be given. And we are talking about praying God send revival. God, do something spontaneous in our church. Do something. Do something in my life. And we can't have a standoff where we're going to wait and say, well, I'm not going to do anything till they do. That is ridiculous. That is so unscriptural. That is so absolutely unscriptural to say, I'm not going to budge till they do something. 
That's so calloused, so immature. In the marriage, be first to ask for forgiveness. In church, be first to ask for forgiveness. In a business relationship, be the first to be recon- try to be reconciled. It takes humility. <clears throat> God's opposed the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, this is one of the things I, I wrote down because I thought of it on the way here, and I didn't know where to fit it in, so I just wrote it in here. <laughs> okay? But I think part of the, the process of being conformed and the part of the process of us responding to the Holy Spirit, working and wanting to get something done, it takes brokenness. Brokenness. And that, that's a whole topic. You talk, I've heard great sermons on brokenness. But let me just, a couple of quick thoughts on brokenness. It's part of the process of being conformed to the image of God. God knows what he needs to do to us to break us. And I could give you illustration after illustration after illustration, true illustrations that I didn't read in a book that's happened in my life where I look back and I say, I know that God was using that to break me, to break me of my pride, break me of my self-sufficiency and my independence. He's using it to break me. So we can either to his working, please get this, to his working, as he's conforming us and as he is breaking us, we can have a right response and a wrong response. In the right response, we would say, yes, Lord, it's me in need of prayer. A wrong response would be becoming mad or angry. I mean, there have been some things that happened in my life in the last three years. That if I would allow my flesh to take over, I would be so up. I would see, I would be mad. I would be angry. I would be just, I would be, you wouldn't recognize the me. I, I, I would be so mad. So in the flesh. And, and I have to, you have to battle it. You have to battle it. You have to recognize that flesh is rising up. Deal with it. So there's a right response and a wrong response to the brokenness that God is wanting to accomplish in our lives. And, and listen, don't look at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Don't look like that and say, I don't know what you're talking about. I could never get mad at God. Oh, I can tell you there are believers that I've known throughout the years. They've actually got mad at God. They're mad at God. They've gotten angry at God. They blame God. They're angry. They're mad at God because of the circumstances they find themselves. And they don't see it as a process. They don't see it as God is working all things together so that he can conform us so that we'll be more like Christ than like our flesh. And so it's circumstance after circumstance, classroom after classroom, he continues to allow things to happen to crush me. And I get angry, I get mad, and I get defensive. And you're missing the whole point. 1 John 1, 9, confessing our sin. There needs to be a tenderness. There needs to be a tenderness there to confess. When God brings conviction, we need to confess it. And I, and I'm, I, again, I believe that today, 
There will be some conviction. I believe today there will be the Holy Spirit working. But it's going to be up to us to say yes, Lord, and confess it before God and being willing to humble ourselves. Confess our sins. So my question to you is this. With all these different components, brokenness, the word of God, conviction of sin. Are we going to quench the Holy Spirit one more time during our imitation? And are we going to be the only one? We're not going to budge. We're not going to we're not going to say, OK, God, I don't care what anybody else does. And, and again, if God says, I, why can't we just say, Holy Spirit, if you convict me to go to a person, that's what lay renewal, that's what they did. They went to each other and they asked each other for forgiveness. It doesn't mean that you change your views on things, but it means unity and oneness in the body is more important than me being right. Could we just somehow let the Holy Spirit do a work? And could there be some genuine reconciliation during this invitation? It could be really special. Revival can come to North Belt. What, what is it going to take? Who will be first to take that first step to humble themselves? Not worried about what anybody else is going to do. We've heard the word. We have conviction. And then as a result, I really believe, we've been seeing a lot of people saved. Like I said last week, in the last three months, more people have been saved on this church property than we have seen in 30 years. And I believe that with all my heart. But I believe there are more people that need to be saved. But I don't want to be the one to stop it. So I ask you, let's, let's bow our heads. Let's be prepared. Let's respond as the Holy Spirit leads. And let's do some serious business with God. And let's see God do something very spectacular and spontaneous in our church. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the encouragement of looking into the word. Being uh, There's so many scriptures dealing with the word of God, preaching the word of God, and souls being saved, and acts all throughout acts. Other places. I just pray, Father, that you'd just do a special work in our church. I, Lord, I know the devil is really fighting hard. I pray that we wouldn't let him win. We wouldn't be the catalyst for him to be able to win the victory. God, I pray that you'd just break us. And help us see the bigger picture. And respond to you the way you want us to respond to you. We just love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. I pray we'd love each other as you loved us. And forgive each other as we've been forgiven. And we just see a miraculous, powerful working of God. In a special way today. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us. Pray for souls, people to be saved. Come into faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.